It's time now for The Road with Pastor Teacher Steve Holt. Church, what Jesus is looking for in the last day's church is rented hearts, broken hearts, broken-hearted people get God's attention. Broken-hearted people get God's attention. Welcome to another edition of The Road with Pastor Teacher Steve Holt. Steve is the head pastor of The Road in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It's our vision to make wholehearted disciples of Jesus Christ and to see you grow in the grace and knowledge of His love. If you're in the area, we meet at Chapel Hills Church, located at 2025 Parliament Drive, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80920. You can go to our website at theroad.org for service times. That's theroad.org. Here now with today's message is Pastor Teacher Steve Holt. So we're in the book of Joel. We are in the book of Joel. And I want to give us a little bit of a summation of where we've been. And we've now done four messages in the book of Joel. And we've been looking at the book of Joel as a prophetic book for the last days, for the coming of the Lord. And the theme, the theme of the book of Joel is the day of the Lord. Now, I said this before, I'll repeat it again. I believe there is a day of the Lord, capital D, and then there's days of the Lord, small case D. And I believe what we're entering into right now in the next few years are days of the Lord leading up to the day of the Lord. And so as we see days of the Lord happening, these are, these are moments of judgment, devastation, warning to us. We might call them harbingers, warnings of the Spirit of God that the Lord is on the move. Do you understand that? The Lord is on the move right now. God is moving across the land and He is bringing devastation even to some churches. There are churches out there that are not going to be able to handle what's coming. There's going to be believers out there that think that everything's business as usual. You know, they're kind of Sunday, they're sort of Sunday Christians, you know, and then maybe if you come to the road, you're a Saturday Christian. But you know, it's kind of a one day a week sort of Christianity. It's not going to cut it, gang. I'll tell you right now, it's not going to cut it. God is allowing demonic powers to rise across the globe. And if you are not spiritually in tune with the Spirit of God and how He works, you're going to be filled with fear. You're going to be filled with fear. And you're going to have to make a choice whether you're going to have a first-hand faith or a second-hand faith. And here's what I mean by that. First-hand faith is where you are personally experiencing an intimate relationship with God. You start to learn to recognize His voice, to hear His voice. You understand that God gives dreams and visions. We're going to talk about that next, in the next message. We're going to talk about dreams and visions, how God speaks through dreams and visions. You've got to be able to understand that. Or you're going to be super confused because you're going to have a second-hand faith. And a second-hand faith is where you kind of derive your faith based on your favorite pastor or your favorite Christian. And you're living off of their books. Or you're living off their faith. It's not going to cut it, gang. You've got to have a first-hand faith or you're going to get wrapped up in fear. 
And I don't know if you, you know, I, I predicted it. I mean, I don't want to say like I'm a prophet or anything because I'm not. But remember, three weeks ago, I gave you the statistic that 81% of Americans say there's going to be another terrorist attack on our soil. And then four days later, we have one in San Bernardino. So that's the kind of stuff that's coming down, gang. And so if we don't have a personal, vital, dynamic, growing intimacy with the Lord, we're going to get wrapped up in fear. And I'd rather be wrapped up in faith. And so the book of Joel is preparing us. It is saying that literally there was a day of the Lord, small d, small case d, that came into Israel and the locusts literally came in and devastated the land. And that there was an enemy coming from the north. The Assyrians were coming from the north and he warns them with a trumpet blast. And so what we've studied the last few weeks is these harbingers in America today and around the world today. Let me just give you some. 9-11 was a harbinger. A warning of coming disaster to our nation. Hurricane Katrina wiped out an entire city. Was a harbinger of the Lord. The Oklahoma tornadoes. Category 5 with 200 mile per hour winds. Created fear in the heartland. In Colorado Springs, Waldo Canyon fire, Black Forest fire, two biggest fires ever in Colorado history in the last three years. Do you think God is not judging Colorado Springs? Where much is given, much is expected. Mass killings in Kenya in April. Shooting down of a Russian airliner just a few weeks ago. The Paris massacre. Shootings in Colorado Springs too in the last uh, couple months. And the worst terror attack since 9-11 in San Bernardino. We are seeing harbingers. Days of the Lord coming. And, And it's not business as usual gang. And here's the deal. We've got to understand this. We've got to understand this. I don't know what the Lord can do more than constantly remind us that the enemy's on the move and that we have got to have a close, intimate, growing relationship with Jesus Christ and God's patience. God is patient. Remember we studied that. In Joel, I believe God's saying he's patient. He's patient with us, almost like a sunrise. You know, you see the sun rising, and if you just stare at the sunrise, it seems like it's really kind of slow but it's gonna get there right and so you see the sunrise and you see the effects of it and it's kind of it seems slow but it starts moving that's what God's doing that's what a harbinger is it's like it's the patience of the Lord giving us opportunity to repent giving us opportunity to cry out to him to prepare the way of the Lord and so Longfellow wrote this this is a great line The mills of God grind slowly, yet they grind exceedingly small. Though with patience he stands waiting, with exactness he grinds all. And so God is patient because he's he's wanting the whole earth to hear the gospel. So here's what's amazing. There is something terrifically terrorizing about what God's doing if you're not following the Lord. If you're messing around tonight, you have a lot to fear. And you better get right with God. If you're walking with God the best you know how, and you're trying to pursue Him, and you're going after Him, these are going to be exciting days. These are exciting days. I'd rather be on the side of exciting than on the side of terror. And so you're going to see these two-fold themes running through 
So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to Psalm 2. And it sounds a little bit counterintuitive, but I want you to look at Psalm 2. And I want to give you a little phrase. And I don't know if it's in your notes or not. A Psalm 2 rage will require a Joel 2 response. A Psalm 2 rage will require a Joel 2 response. Here's what Psalm 2 says. Psalm 2 says this. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. And listen up. I mean, read the whole verse. And against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. You know, that's the way I feel right now. I mean, when I look at the decisions that are being made, the stuff that's coming out of the Supreme Court, the kind of stuff that's happening just in America alone, it's been happening for years in Europe. It's the kings of the earth, the presidents of the earth, the premiers of the earth, the prime ministers of nations saying, I don't want these Christians. I don't want their stuff. I don't want their Bible. Get their Bible out of the schools. Get that as far away. I don't want these cords. I don't want these restrictions about gay marriage. I don't want these restrictions about sexuality. I don't want these restrictions about morality. You know you can't legislate morality. I don't want these bonds on me, right? I mean, aren't we hearing this? Like all the like every day it's the drumbeat in the news. And it's prophesied right here. The Psalm 2 rage. And so in verse 2 he says, The kings of the earth set themselves against the rulers and they take counsel together against the Lord, but against his anointed. They hate churches like us. And in the last days we're going to be hated. And that's why I believe many will apostatize. That's why many, their love for the Lord will grow cold, Jesus said in Matthew 24, talking about the last days. Because it will be hard for you. You're going to go to work and you're going to be in a conversation. And you realize if I, if I say anything, if I take any kind of a stand, I could lose my job. That's where it's going, gang. That's where it's going. It's right here. Psalm 2. But I love what he says next. Look at verse 4. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. God laughs about it. (laughs) Really? I'm so worried. And so God's in heaven going, oh, I didn't know this was going to happen. Wow, those are really mean people. Oh, they're, they're hurting my church. Oh, I don't know what to do. I'm all stupefied. By the situation. The Lord who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord shall hold them in derision. And then he shall speak to them in his wrath. And distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. You know here's the type guys. This is to me the most beautiful type. Is either Ezekiel or John at Patmos. Let's just take John at Patmos. So John, that's under Domitian or Nero. We're not exactly sure, but Domitian or Nero are the emperors of Rome. They're slaughtering Christians in Rome. 
They're lighting them up. They're putting oil on them and they're lighting them up during the festivities and banquets and stuff. And John, who's preaching the gospel, he's been boiled in oil from here down. Probably carries those scars. And in Revelation chapter 4, which we're going to go into Revelation after we finish with Joel. And we're going to come to this part. Revelation chapter 4, God takes him. He sees a vision of heaven and God's on the throne. He's on the throne. He's not off the throne. And the 24 elders and the seraphim and the cherubim, and they're worshiping him. And it was much like what we're going to be heading into. And he's still on the throne. That gets me fired up. He's not leaving his throne. Doesn't matter who's president. Doesn't matter what's happening in Russia. Doesn't matter what's happening in Syria. Doesn't matter what's happening in Israel. Doesn't matter what's happening in the United States of America. He's still on the throne. And so when we come here at the road, we worship God. And we, we preach the word, and then we worship God. I want you to worship with abandonment. I want you to, when we go in and when Michelle starts to leave, and we're, we're going to just go for it. We should go for it every Saturday night. Go for it. Because, because it's the best and the best. And the, and the most important and the deepest thing we do is that we come and we worship him. And what worship means to me is that we completely focus our heart on the Lord. You forget about Christmas. You forget about Christmas trees. You forget about gift giving. You forget about the turkey. You forget about all that. And you just, for 30 minutes or so, or 20 minutes, whatever it is, and we just worship the Lord. We all stink on the first song. I mean, we just do. I mean, you guys sound great. I don't mean it that way. I just mean that, like, you're kind of, you can't get focused, and you got, and you get this, you know, all that stuff's going on, and everything. But by the second song, or third song, it starts to happen, right? So the way you prepare for worship at the road is the other six days of the week, you also worship. You have a personal worship life. You put on the headphones, man. You go into your closet or, you, or go walk in the woods or whatever you like to do. And just take two songs or three songs and just worship the Lord. You go, oh, man, you're worshiping. And you're thinking, man, I got four meetings today. And I've got to remember to, to, that I've got to tell Joe, you know, this thing and everything. Well, then write it down. That's fine. That's okay. Just do it. Even if it stinks. Even if it's not very good. I mean, I'm the most unanointed worshiper in this room. I promise you. I'm so unanointed. It's not even funny. I'm terrible. I, I, got, I got all kinds of stuff swimming in me. Every once in a while, though, I actually break in and I worship the Lord. But I'm not going to quit. And you shouldn't either. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Verse 8. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. See, this is where God's going in the latter days. He's looking for people who will not quit until they get their prayers answered. He's looking for people that will take a hold of the heart of God and keep going after it and keep knocking on heaven until God answers. So I believe what he's doing, he's weeding out we call it the sheep and the goats. He's, he's kind of weeding out those that can't handle it. And so, you know, that, that's why I think the pressure is coming and you've got to press in. Here's the thing. Pressure should cause us to press in to Jesus more. 
And I think that's what pressure does. Pressure really defines the sheep and the goats. Pressure really defines those who want to really go after the Lord wholeheartedly and those that are half-hearted. Because half-hearted people will start blaming God, be frustrated with God, tell us all their problems, all God's fault. I can't believe God did that to me. I can't believe I lost my job. I just started tithing and then I lost my job. See, that's what it'll do for you. Those kind of people, and some of you are those kind of people, and I've been one of those kind of people. You got to turn it around and you got to go after the Lord again. And you got to forget about the past and you got to press in again. And it's worth it because you start to experience God on a whole new level. So let's look at chapter 2 of Joel. So a Psalm 2 rage, which is the world we're living in, is going to lead us to a Joel 2 response. And so not unlike what was happening in the book of Joel. So you guys that have been with me, in chapter 2, verse 1, we looked at this trumpet. And we had a trumpet call. We actually had George Stanky here. And George did the shofar those two weeks in a row. And you heard a real shofar. And that's what he's talking about. And a trumpet blast, the first trumpet blast in ancient times was a warning blast. That's a warning. And you saw that in Lord of the Rings. In Lord of the Rings, there was a warning blast that came out when they were lighting all the piers and stuff because the enemy's coming. So you're getting a warning in Joel. Then there's a second blast. And the second trumpet blast midway down in chapter 2 means impending danger. That means you can see the enemy coming. They could see the Syrians coming. They could see themselves getting surrounded. It is happening. It is happening. It's happening in San Bernardino. It's happening in Colorado Springs. It's happening in Black Forest. It's happening in Waldo Canyon. It's happening down here at Planned Parenthood. It's like impending danger. And so that was the second trumpet blast. And here's what the second trumpet blast means. It means return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. You see, Israel had no other options but to either rebel or return. That's what your options will be, guys. Your options are going to be rebel or return. Oh, well, here, yeah. Oh, Steve. Well, you know, he's so emotional. You know, he's a southerner, you know, and he had too much grits that week or something. You know, it's not that bad. See, that'll be the response. That's the rebellious crowd. You know, it's not that bad. So you're going to be caught with your pants down spiritually. Because what's going to happen is your faith is not going to be able to sustain you as the demonic powers rise in our land. And if you're not careful, you're going to lose your marriage. You're going to lose your family. You're going to lose it all. Because I'm telling you, this is not the America we grew up in, gang. This is not... uh, Ozzy and Harriet. This is not Beaver Cleaver America anymore. This is a different America. You know, over 50% are going through divorce. Maybe 50% in this room have gone through a divorce. I mean, that's because the enemy's been attacking our marriages and our families now for a generation. And it's only going to get worse. It's not getting any better. And so God's looking for a people that he can raise up in these latter days And here's what he says. Look at chapter 2, verse 18. That's where we're going to pick it up here tonight. And I'm going to take us back a little, and we're going to move forward a little bit. Only a little bit. I mean, I started studying this stuff. I was like, man, I need to get through Joel. I was like, there's no way I can get through Joel that fast. So, sorry. So, we'll we'll actually go into the new year still in Joel, and then we'll go into Revelation after that. But chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord will be zealous. I love this. The Lord will be zealous for his land and 
pity his people. You see, God wants to refresh us. He wants to refresh you. He wants to bless you. He has zeal for you. I mean, when Jesus came into the temple, he didn't just come in to kind of give a sacrifice. He came in and he saw what was happening in his temple and what a consumer marketplace it had become instead of a place of of a house of prayer and worship and he got really ticked and so he started tearing everything up and took a whip and he tore the place up and then it said the disciples later said the zeal of the Lord has consumed him that's what he's doing right now I believe the zeal of the Lord is sweeping across the globe I believe the zeal of the Lord is sweeping across America He loves America. He loves his church. He loves his people. And he loves every country. Don't get me wrong. But I'm preaching in America. So I'm speaking in America. I was in Africa. I said about Africa. But the reality is he loves all people who love him. And he has zeal for you. You're here tonight because you love the Lord. You know, I don't love him that much. You know, that's okay. You love him a little bit. And if you love him a little bit, he has zeal for you. Because you're a child of God. You're called beloved. That means you're deeply loved from the heart of God. And so he has a zeal for your heart. He has a zeal for your family. You that are single, he has a zeal for your singleness. He knows, you know, some of the struggles with loneliness there. And some of you want to be married and you're not married and all that. And, 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 and some of you are getting married. I, I, I remember the guy who said to me, he said, you know, I really dig this stuff about the second coming of Christ and everything, Steve. But can I just get married and have sex before he comes back? <laughs> I said, yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I totally understand that. I, you know, I, I did it. So it's a good thing. Do it the right way, though. Do it the right way, okay? But look back, chapter 2, verse 1. Joel gives us the marks of the last day's church. So I want to talk about tonight some of the marks of the last day's church. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming. For it is at hand. Look at verse 12. Now therefore saith the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Verse 13. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Here's the first mark. The first mark of the last day's church is cultivating, listen, the cultivating of wholehearted intimacy. That's the first mark. He says, rend your heart, not your garments. The reason is, is because the priest at that time would rend their garments, but not their heart. And the only way I can relate to that in our, in our present circumstances is pastors and leaders who pretend to be functioning in intimacy with the Lord. And they're really not. They're just religious. They're just posing and pretending. And many believers do that. You know, they go to church. Maybe they're moral. But their heart is far from him. You see, Jesus set up a whole new paradigm. Jesus, it's pretty weird about Jesus. Because he came, and quite frankly, the group of people that by holiness standards as it related to outward behavior was the Pharisees. And who was his arch enemy? The Pharisees. And the reason is, is because he was more interested in a heart than he was outward behavior. 
Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have, you know, outward behavior because the only way you know if you have the right heart is by changed behavior. So don't get me wrong. But here's the thing. You can have behavioral change but not have a changed heart and just be religious. And so that's what was happening at this time. These priests, they would fast and they would make sure everybody knew they were fasting and then they would do all these prayers that everybody could see. And then they'd do these sacrifices. And then something bad happens. They would actually literally rip their garments. Just kind of rip their garments. But their heart wasn't rent. Church, what Jesus is looking for in the last day's church is rented hearts. Broken hearts. Broken hearted people get God's attention. Broken-hearted people get God's attention. And so he says, rent your hearts. Seek me with your whole heart. That's what worship is. That's what we're trying to build up here. We're trying to build whole-hearted worshipers and warriors who when we come into worship, we're all there. May not have all the songs perfect. May not have all our instruments perfect. But our hearts are right. You see, that's the one thing that you have the freedom to to do. You may not be the most gifted. You may not be the most anointed by certain standards. But you have, you guys that are on the worship team, when you come up here, the one thing you have control over that nobody else has control over is what you do with your heart. So you could get up here and just go, you know, or you get, you know, and then I totally mess it up. And we don't want that a lot because, you know, nobody will come, but... I mean, seriously, but you know what I mean? It's like, I'm serious. If your heart's right, you won't do that much because God will just show up and you'll be in sync with the Spirit of God. Same in your job. I mean, here's the thing. You know, a lot of Christians, they talk about the good news, but they're the bad news. It's like, man, if that's a Christian, I'll become, you know, Hindu, you know? And so I think what I'd rather see is maybe we don't talk as much about it. We live it. Okay? And so a wrenched, a rented, a ripped, a broken heart is what the last day's church has to be. That's the foremost, most important thing we do is wholeheartedness. And the way we define wholeheartedness around here is that we're, we're okay with the dark side of our heart that we'll, that we'll be vulnerable about it. We'll go there. We'll say to the Lord, look, Lord, I've got a broken heart. And, and look, I was abused when I was eight years old. And I'm going to deal with that now. Because you tell me to love you with all of my heart. Well, how can you love him with all your heart if half your heart's dark? Because you've been running from what happened 35 years ago your whole life. And I say, face it. He's big enough to heal it. And until you face it, you can't get healed from it. And so a whole heart is saying, I'm screwed up. Because the church has tended to sort of paint the picture of these perfect people. Let's be real. We're not. And you know, and and so we all have shame. We have shame areas. But you know how you break the power of shame? Is you face it. You name it. You say what it is, and then you take it to the foot of Jesus, and you let him heal it. You let him, 2 Corinthians 4, you let him shine his light on it. 
Some of you have been through miserable divorces. Some of you have been raped. Some of you have had abortions. I mean, we've heard it all around here. And guess what? That's the route to wholeheartedness is owning it, giving it to the Lord and saying, I'm a new creation in Christ. And I'm enough because Jesus is enough. And because he's enough, I can be transformed by him because it's not up to me anymore. I already know I'm up to no good. But Christ in me is the hope of glory and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the whole heart prayer. That's what I blogged about. That's what that blog was about on Thursday. But that prayer was that prayer of wholeheartedness. And so you guys, as demonic power grows, as ominous world events increase, as the old, the old stuff that you used to depend on dissipates, you got to have an intimate walk with God. You really do. And I'll talk about this the next time, about dreams and visions and stuff like that, how God speaks today. He speaks mainly through God's Word, but He also speaks extra-biblically. My wife and I and our family wouldn't be in Colorado Springs when we moved here 21 years ago if it wasn't through a dream that God gave Liz when we were on the island of Okinawa. And then we wouldn't have gone to California and and all the stuff we did there if it wasn't God leading us. So God will lead you prophetically. But how do you know? Well, how do I know if that's me or if that's God? You just learn by doing it. That's called firsthand faith. That's why I'm saying secondhand faith. And by the way, thirdhand, secondhand faith, that's a great place to start. That's a good place to start. Some of you are at that place and you're riding on the faith of others. That's fantastic. Keep coming. But there'll be a point in your journey as you get closer to the Lord where you're going to go, you know, I don't, I got to seek the Lord. I need to go to a cabin and fast and pray. I need to get away and fast and pray. I got to seek God. That's firsthand faith. And he's going to speak to you. He will. The only favored people, listen, the only favored people in the kingdom are the people who by and large don't think they're favored. And so they seek God because they feel like if they don't seek God, they're not going to get squats from him. I'm serious. I'm talking about athletes for God. I'm talking about zealous for the Lord. Like you're going to seek him until he speaks, right? Like we need a worship leader right now. We need a worship pastor at the road. We don't have that. And we need to fast and pray about that. We need to seek God about that. God's got someone for the road who's our Davidic worship leader. And I don't know where they are, but they're out, he's out there somewhere. And we're going to find him. But we're not going to find him by sitting around going, oh, man, you know, sometimes the worship's really good. And sometimes it's kind of crummy. And, and if we only had a worship leader. I know firsthand how to do this. Steve Holt on the worship leader. Mm-hmm. Never going to have a worship leader. Then here's Steve in the pulpit. We need to seek God for a worship leader and go before the Lord. Steve Holt at home. Mm-hmm. We have a worship leader. <laughs> it's true, man. I'm, I'm like, if I didn't have my wife, man, I'd be, it'd be horrible for you guys. Would you just seek God? Okay, woman. Okay. Quit complaining. I'm not going to feed you until you, unless you quit complaining. So Colton, and I like this word. It's not in your notes, but I like this word. I, I just kept thinking about it all week and I didn't want to do my notes again, so I didn't change it. But cultivating wholehearted intimacy. Cultivating. 
To me, I love that word because it gives the impression of that you're digging. You know, cultivate a garden. You cultivate intimacy with the Lord. It's not something that you just kind of dream about, think about, and hope happens. You have to cultivate it. So you have to dig in. Got to get up PB&J. We talk about PB&J, prayer Bible journal, prayer Bible journal. Get up. Take that bookmark that we have. You know a bookmark? We've got them out there in the lobby. Get that bookmark. Start following those passages. Read it. Cultivate um, intimacy with the Lord. I could go on forever on that. We'll just stop there. Secondly, the second thing is the last day's church will cultivate wholehearted prayer and fasting. The last day's church will cultivate wholehearted prayer and fasting. Now, some of you probably never fasted before. Now, let me just say this. Fasting doesn't just mean food. I think fasting means taking something out of your life because you're serious about seeking God about something. You understand what I'm saying? So for some of you, you just, you know, it might be sports or it might be something, but you're so serious about something, you'll actually take something out of your life in order to feast on God. So you'll fast from something to feast on God. That's what prayer and fasting is. So look at chapter 1, verse 14. Chapter 1, verse 14 of Joel. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. Look at verse 19. O Lord, to you I cry out, for fire has devoured the open pastures and a flame has burned all the trees of the field. Look at chapter 2, verse 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. So this is a church that with wholehearted intimacy is going to fast and pray for breakthrough. Do you guys remember the story of, of Jesus? He takes three of his disciples and they go up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And he's transfigured before them. And they see him in his shining glory. A picture of him as the son of God. In all of his deity. They see that. They come back. And remember the disciples are trying to cast out this demon out of this kid. And they can't get it out. And these are the same disciples that for the last few weeks have been casting out demons in every village they go to. But they can't get this one out. Jesus comes up and he's like, I think he's probably pretty fired up. I mean, he just revealed himself to three of his disciples in his glory. He's been with his father in a personal encounter, even on earth. One of the only times he did that, he had that person that comes down. It's like he's like weary. And he says, man, it's kind of, oh, you guys, you've been casting. Why can't, you can't cast it. I mean, this is not even hard. And then he says this. He says, some will not go out, meaning demons, except through fasting and prayer. Do you realize some of you don't have jobs that you're supposed to have? Some of you are in a financial crisis that you're not supposed to be in. But you didn't fast and pray about your situation, so you didn't get wisdom from God and there wasn't a breakthrough. I said, well, that sounds really legalistic, Steve. Like, we have to work for stuff. and Yes, you have to work for stuff. In this heavily hyper-grace atmosphere that we have in the evangelical church today, nobody likes to hear that. I'm not talking about salvation. 
That's where the mix-up is. I'm talking about sanctification. So salvation, grace alone. But here's what Martin Luther said. And he was the king of faith and grace. He's the one who gave us the Protestant Reformation. He said this, look. It's for by grace alone, but not grace that is alone. It's by grace alone, but not grace that is alone. Here's what he means. That you are saved by putting your faith in Christ and all of God's grace saves you. I don't believe you can lose that. You get that. You got it. It's yours forever. I, don't, I believe in etern- what we call eternal security. That's a theological term. So, so when you put your faith in Christ, you get saved. But listen, guys, salvation faith that has no works in it, I have reason to believe you were never saved. So you can say, well, I walked the aisle of the Billy Graham crusade or I went to a Greg Laurie crusade or I went to the road and I got saved and I got baptized there and I just love sleeping with 14 girls every week. It's really cool. Um, maybe you're not saved. Maybe not. Because that kind of power of the Holy Spirit living in our lives will, now I'm not talking about the next day, but over time, it should bring transformation in your life. And if it brings transformation in your life, guess what? You're going to learn to fast and pray. Because here's the deal. When you learn to fast and pray, you're going to realize there are strongholds out there. There are some enemies against you, working against you. And if you don't learn how to fight in the Spirit, you're going to miss out on huge blessings. You're not going to lose your salvation. Don't hear me say that. Everybody understand what I'm saying? Salvation for by grace through faith alone. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. But we don't quote the next verse. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? good works. So it works and it's good because you have Jesus in your heart. Not talking perfection. Please don't hear me say that. Every one of us here, we mess up all the time. We don't have a quiet time. We mess up. There's some people in here have done major stupid things. Okay. We have a lot of stupid things that have happened in this church. I've done stupid things. You can, 1 John 1, 9, you can confess that and be forgiven and you can start over and you keep growing in Christ. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? But here's what I'm saying. This is my main point tonight. And that is, there are works for you to do that you got to fight for. And the best way I know to explain it is that everything in life is wired that way. It's a kingdom principle. You know, you, you go to school and you train your mind. You get married and you get married? Are you kidding me? Is that hard or what? I'm married to women. I know what women are like. Okay? And then you have kids? Are you kidding me? You thought marriage was hard? And then you have seven? <laughs> Hello. Are you kidding me? And so we cry out to God and everything takes work. Everything takes effort. And so fasting and prayer is one of the great tools and the weapons of the Lord against the enemy. You've been listening to The Road with Pastor Steve Holt. We pray that you've been blessed by the message today. Our hope is to make wholehearted disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's why we teach the Word of God verse by verse, scripture by scripture, and precepts upon precepts. 
We're excited about all the things God is doing in the lives of our faithful listeners. We understand that there are many trials and tribulations in this world, and we'd love to be able to pray for you as you encounter difficult times. Please drop us a note and let us know how we can pray for you. Write us at The Road, P.O. Box 88485, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80908. If you've been blessed by this message, please let us know as well. Again, the address is The Road, P.O. Box 88485, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80908. If you're in the area, please stop on by and join us at The Road. We meet at Chapel Hills Church, located at 2025 Parliament Drive, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80920. You can find out about our service times and more about The Road by going to our website at theroad.org. That's theroad.org. Make sure you follow us on Facebook as well. That's facebook.com slash theroadcs. As always, we covet your prayers. Thanks again for tuning in today, and be sure to catch us again next time for another edition of The Road with Pastor Teacher Steve Holt.